Welcome to Plug In For More, brought to you by EVUniverse.com. EVUniverse is your one-stop shop for all things related to the electric vehicle. Here on this podcast, our goal is to educate, inspire, and hopefully make your transition into the electric vehicle marketplace a lot less intimidating. And now, here are your hosts, Mike, Tom, and Bryant. So I think last time, listeners, we were talking about me and the Q4 I've on order. Since then, I'm sure most of you have seen uh, the news that there is an electric vehicle shipping um basically an entire ship caught on fire in the North Atlantic. And it was mostly uh, electric vehicles, not all, but it was mostly Audis, some Porsches, some Taycans. And uh, it was really bad because it caught on fire and then it sank. (laughs) So they're not going to save any of the cars from it. And uh, (laughs) it sounds like it's hard to get. I'm I'm on the list of a bunch of dealers like you guys know, like we talked about last time. But it sounds like there's a lot of uh, Q4s on that and that cargo ship. So it looks like we're going to see any EV coming from the German manufacturers, Audi, Porsche. It's going to be delayed because it's not only the ship sinking with the vehicles on it. Is there's no replacement ships for it. And so it's going to backlog a lot of things. So bad news on the front. I might be looking for maybe we'll do another podcast on another electric vehicle besides the q4 because i'm not sure how long i want to wait for it well one other thing i mean i know i've thought about this because i had a conversation with brian's wife about what she really likes which is a mustang ev not necessarily the q4 e-tron and i know there's some internal debates in that household um anything you would like to share brian i I appreciate you bringing that up mike um yeah, sure you are. It's all good sure news at the beginning of this podcast. I mean, I didn't mind the or the E Mustang. I don't, I'm just not a I'm not a big fan of it. So, and my wife hasn't seen one in person. So maybe the next step is we go see one in person, drive it, see what she likes. But I'm thinking of something else. I don't know. I'm thinking of something else. I, I think the problem though is that the 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 Mach E that we drove was like the base model and there was nothing super inspiring about it. And something was wrong with that particular car. Cause I remember mm-hmm. feeling all of the power coming from just like the rear right wheel and everything I've seen it, it it's something about that. Again, that particular car, like it had been trashed on or there was something wrong. I don't think that was a good representation of that car. Very possible, Mike. I think that one's could be a base test model that's broken. I don't know. So, Tom, I believe you have a very interesting story about a Polestar and what happens when you don't check how much electricity is in that vehicle. You would care to share? Yeah. So, I was working the other night and it was a snowstorm and we got a call of a car that had run out of electricity and was stuck on the side of one of our county roads up here in northern Michigan. Um, I don't have a ton of ways of verifying or fact-checking the story that I was given, but um, this person who had a flight that was supposed to come into Traverse City, um, the flight from Grand Rapids to Traverse City got canceled. So this person was given a rental car, ended up being the Polestar 2, and 
they were going to drive it back to Traverse City instead of worrying about that missed flight out of Grand Rapids. Um, the rental, according to this person, the rental company told them that they had plenty of charge in order to get back to Traverse City, and they just started driving it north and didn't really think much about it. Um, this person didn't pay attention to the warning indicators that were popping up saying you need to pull over to charge, you need to find a charging station, which whichever, and just kept driving because the rental car company told them that they had enough battery. Fast forward to about 10 miles outside of Traverse City and the car just stops driving and they had to pull over. Ultimately, this person's spouse came and picked him up and then... Uh, the rental car company had to send for a tow truck to come get the car. But that was my first time seeing a Polestar, and I was kind of disappointed because it's a little bit of a, a negative story on EVs, and being stranded in a snowstorm is one of those fears that we've talked about that people have. And then on one of my you know, interactions with an EV this is just that. Interesting, nonetheless. Just be mindful of your charging. And I think this is mostly a user error situation as opposed to the vehicle's fault. But again... I can't fact check all of that. So on that topic, I was, while you're telling the story, I was looking at the distance from Grand Rapids to Traverse City. It's 142 miles. And of course, that's uh, center city to center city. Um, but also the range of the Polestar 2, which the lowest range mile they make is 249 miles. So you're talking not quite double what that range was. Now, obviously, you've got winter factors in there too, but... I don't see how it couldn't be user error and or the rental car company saying, hey, you got plenty of charge and they didn't really pay attention because it seems like a pretty simple math mistake. So I, again, I hate to always defend the EV, but on this one, it really seems like someone wasn't paying attention or multiple people weren't. Is there going to be, like we know we've talked about prior, but there's like a 20% battery degradation just because of cold weather. Is that even an accurate number? I don't think it's anywhere near that bad. I mean, one, it depends on what, um, how far you're going, right? So does the, does the sure. car have time to warm up? How much time is it, is it being warmed up while it's still plugged in? Um, so that that battery pack is is warm, how actual cold it is, how much you're using the heated seats versus not. So, I mean, there's factors in there, but, you know, 20 percent, I think um, I think that's fair. Even if you were at a full charge and you lost 20 percent of your battery, you're talking 192 miles for that pull star yep. for range. Exactly. I mean, this is an interesting topic because I've been getting tons of emails from Hertz about what's happening from them buying new Teslas, right, to rent out. And I'm really curious to see if this is a rental car theme because people fly in, they think it's really cool, they're going to rent an EV, but maybe it's not charged all the way. And the last couple of times I've rented cars, man, the turnaround is, like, hot. It's, it's literally, like, someone just dropped this off, like, 10 minutes ago. They didn't even vacuum it out, like, this because there's such a shortage of rental cars. And to your point, do the rental cars companies just throw a half charge on it and say, yeah, it's good, not knowing you're going to be driving, you know, 200 miles. It's interesting. And then if you're not an EV, if you've never driven one before, you're kind of not sure. You just assume it's fully charged, right? For somebody jumping into a car like that for the first time, and maybe they're not tech savvy or even a car person, and then all of a sudden have to charge, stop at a supercharger with one of those vehicles, like it might be really intimidating and not even want to deal with it. Yeah. It'd be intimidating no. for me not having ever done that. Looking, because I, I did get in the car, like after this person left, like I stayed with it on the roadside for a little bit because I wanted to check it out. But um, the 
software on the screen was giving like four or five different locations that were within 50 miles that would be acceptable to charge. Like one of the closest one was like 15 miles from where they actually like stopped. Like the car had like a range of like two miles when I was sitting in it. Like that's what the range said. So they had plenty of warning, but just didn't heed the warning or look at the screen. Correct. Got it. So I think the big takeaway there for me is make sure how much charge you have when you leave and pay attention to the screen on how much gas or electricity you have when you go someplace. Seems pretty simple. Solid life advice, Michael. Well, speaking of new kind of like first time seeing electric vehicles, so Tom got to see the Polestar, which is pretty cool. I'm jealous. I was at the Amelia this weekend and got to see the new electric Hummer. I got to see the new... Can you when you can you dive into what the Amelia? Because for those not in the, um, the billion dollar range for cars, they might not know what the Amelia is. Sorry, thank, thank you. <laughs> yes, <it's, laughs> sure. it seems like common knowledge, but it's actually not. So, uh, the Amelia is a, a Concorde, which is, if you don't know what a Concorde is, it's one of the best car shows in the United States. You have to be invited. <laughs> has to be a super rare car. I'd say the top three concours in the United States are is Pebble Beach, held every August. Uh, the, Amelia, the Amelia, which is held every every early March down in um, Amelia Island, Florida, just uh, east of Jacksonville. And then Concours of America, which has been changed into the Concours of Detroit, and that's been moved to September. Actually, it's really cool to coincide with the International Auto Show this year. So there'll be the Concours of Detroit and the International Auto Show. But it's basically a super, super high-end fancy car show. But the cool part is you have a lot of new vehicle manufacturers coming there because there's literally 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 potentially car enthusiasts walking around. So they like to share their brand new vehicles because it's a target-rich audience. So I guess I'll expose my plebeian naivety. I thought it was concourse. Isn't that how it's spelled? It, concourse. It's yeah. It's it's spelled concourse, but it's uh, it's concourse. Okay. This is kind of like Porsche versus Porsche. <laughs> the elitist yeah. pronunciation. <laughs> okay. Sorry. No, you're good. So anyway, they had two. They had a bunch of cars there, but the two electric vehicles that caught my eye was a new Taycan, which I'll talk about maybe at a different podcast. Um, but the one I really checked out and spent a lot of time with was the new EV Hummer. And so my impressions with it were a couple things. One, it is still big, but it's not huge. You'd think you think of Hummer and you think of literally like the biggest vehicle you've ever seen. This thing is not as big as my Dodge Ram pickup truck. It's a little bit smaller. And the hmm. most surprising thing is it's kind of short. Now, I think they did that on purpose because it has amazing um, T-top all open so the whole top basically is a giant t-top front and back the bed is fairly small but it's obviously it's not a pickup truck but my main takeaways were three things one i really thought the layout and design of it was amazing it has a lot of space in the interior um, other hummers i've been in the interior feels kind of small i know that feels strange but the interior is kind of small because it's a lot of wheel well but this interior is really well laid out the details were awesome it had amazing space in the front of the, of it, and I thought it was well designed. Uh, the fit and finish felt good, and it just looked really cool. Um, if we want to talk about what my wife wants, she actually wants that, but it's a little bit out of the price range. Well, so on that topic, I there is one for sale currently, private party, 
it is only I think three hundred and twenty thousand dollars. What a deal! So I mean, why not? It's just two hundred thousand dollars over MSRP or something like that. So I mean, just just do it. I mean, the thing. So I want to bring up a controversial topic. The thing I didn't like is it's pleather. It's not real leather. However, I researched this a little bit. And most EV manufacturers are not using real leather in their EVs, including Tesla and a few others, because they feel like the electric vehicle owner does not want real leather. And so, uh, Mike, you've owned a bunch of Teslas. And mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think about that? That's, that was surprising to me because I, I was thinking, wait a minute, you're sitting into your point. You just made a $300,000 car with fake leather. It felt weird. But I mean, what do you think? Yeah. So, uh, um, number one is, the model s that i just sold yesterday that p85d um that one had real leather in it um the model x we had that was a 2017 that had um real leather as well and then the model y that we have that is the the latest edition of the pleather or eco-friendly material whatever you'd call it what i will say is personally i much rather have that model y material from a cleanup and from a um it doesn't wear i mean we've got i don't know ten thousand miles on that y already something a large number and you can't tell anyone sat in that seat now the model x and model y or model um s those seats you could really see the wear and so from that regard i much rather have that pleather. Um, but I was researching this a couple of weeks ago and my understanding is even the quote unquote leather from some of the OEMs are, aren't real leather anyways. They're more of a combination product. Um, and so there's, I guess, more real material, but almost everything now is some combination thing, hybrid. And so, um, not really many manufacturers truly make real, real leather anymore. That's interesting. I think uh, this was obviously just a show truck, but I was not impressed with the, the look of it in the in mm-hmm. this. But to your point, yeah. maybe uh, GM has an idea of making something because this is just this was just a beat up, you know, show model type of thing. I think it's part of the virtue signaling too with the electric vehicle. I I like Mike am not deterred by that. I'm not opposed to the synthetic material if it's going to have the wearing capability that Mike's talking about as opposed to the leather, like just like talking about missing the V8 Hemi when we finally do get rid of our Rams, like I'll miss that, but it's not worth it to keep it just like I'll miss the smell of real leather on the seats. But at the same time, like I'm good with the synthetic product if it, if it's going to hold up and have the same feel. But overall, I'd say the, the Hummer I was impressed with smaller than you'd think, shorter than you'd think. But the fit finished design, I give I give an A plus too, and um, I'm really excited to see a production one, you know, in real life because this was just a like I said, this was like a show one. But man, it had a bigger, it had a pretty big crowd around it though. I was uh, I was able to sit in it, able to catch a, l- a little bit of time. But there was a, there was a wait to get in this car, so it was really highly anticipated, and it was, it was cool to see. Like I know the re- the MSRP on it's like 115,000 um thereabouts i did the three hundred thousand number that's obviously price gouging but do you see opportunity for them to 
reduce costs on it just from what you saw to maybe get that down to being a $60,000 truck? Uh, that's a great question. I think it has to do with um, what I saw was I think they could reduce costs a little bit with the top. The top looked super expensive, having that entire top be a T-top. That's a huge T-top. That's the biggest T-top I've ever seen. Um, so maybe they can make an option where you take that off. The tires on it were pretty aggressive. It had a pretty you know good off-road package. Maybe you could dumb that down a little bit, kind of like the Broncos done. They have the kind of the street version. Yeah. And then the Renegade. So you can maybe do that. I think the biggest thing that, you know, reading the flyers and everything was just the horsepower and the massive batteries and motors they had. And so maybe they could dumb down that a little bit. I don't think you need, you know, a Hummer to go zero to 60 in like three seconds and have a thousand horsepower. Like that's a little crazy. Sure. Um, so I think you're right though, Tom. I think they could still have a really cool looking Hummer minus a few of the aggressive things that are a little over the top and get it closer to maybe the, you know, 90, 80, 75 range, something like that. And my thought is it's like a marketing scheme, kind of like what Dodge has always done. Like the, the, the idea that the Dodge Viper sold a lot of Dodge neons. I wouldn't be shocked and I'd buy it. I'd totally put that at the top of my list. If, uh, if you had a smaller version with less, less craziness, sure. It's sweet. You're listening to the Plug In For More podcast. If you're looking for information on electric vehicles, electric vehicles components, or information on how to reduce your carbon footprint, look no further than EVUniverse.com. EVUniverse.com is your one-stop shop for all things related to electric vehicle. So we wanted to get in today talking about the self-driving capabilities that a lot of these uh, electric vehicle manufacturers are coming up with. Uh, Mike, I know you have a lot of experience with the Tesla. And we're just hoping that you could go through and, and walk through us with us um, what exactly that looks like when you're driving. Well, I mean, for me, there's there's a couple different, my experience, I guess, is the sort of evolution of Tesla originally. So with the original Tesla Roadster, there is nothing in that car as far as you know, self-driving capability. There is not even power steering. So you can kind of take that one right out of the gate. Um, doesn't exist. Um, the Model S, the original one that came out, I had a 2012 up until yesterday. That particular vehicle had what was called Autopilot One, which had a number of cameras on the car. It also had radar and did not have the side cameras. So that was kind of the base first model. The next level up, which is an enhanced Autopilot, which which most of those vehicles or even all of them um, have the capability to be upgraded to a full self-driving Tesla's version version of that, which is not full autonomous driving. And then the last one is that full self-driving is as Tesla calls it, um, which right now they're in the, the beta phase with those vehicles. So going back to autopilot one, which, <clears throat> excuse me, I've taken that you know, a couple different vehicles with that across the U S um, and on multiple long trips. Now, those are really, really good for getting on the highway, turning it on. You still have to hold the wheel, paying attention, but it will stay in the lane very, very nicely. It's not bouncing from one to the other. Like I'm sure you guys have seen lane keep assist, but it doesn't do that. It really just tracks, you know, where you want to go. Um, it's in a straight manner, or if you want to put on the turn signal, it'll move over for you. And there's different levels with that. Um, you need either enhanced autopilot or at least a car with side cameras for it to do that by itself. I had a, a two recent vehicles, a Kia SUV. I can't remember the name of it even. And a Mazda that had lane assist. And man, that was terrible. Mm -hmm. I tried to turn it on 
and just do that. It is, you know, it says not to your hands free, but I tried not to help it very much. And that experience was terrible. Um, can you talk like a little bit more around how Tesla's um, and your experience is better than that? Because I think most people like myself are starting to get cars. These are both rental cars that have that lane assist and their experience, at least mine was terrible. And so it degrades, in my opinion, like the ability to have that self-driving like Tesla feel. Can you just talk about that? Because now I have no confidence in any of that technology because it's, it's pretty bad on those cars. It is. It, it is bad. Um, and back in the day, it was it was great. I mean, it'd keep you in your lane if you fell asleep or you know, fell asleep, but you know, had a small lapse, right? But when I think about those lane keep assists, I think of Pong. You know, the video, the first video game that came out, you're bouncing from one lane to the next. That's all they really do is, and all they really do is bounce from one side of the lane to the next, and they're beeping at you the whole time, primarily to take over and. To me, that's a, um, it's a system just to make sure that you don't kill yourself on the side of the road. Now, when you look at the autopilots, I think that's truly a driver assist package where even on the, the most basic level, it, it tracks straight. It really makes driving easier rather than a fail safe to keep you from, again, killing yourself or going off the side of the road. Um so to me, that's the biggest difference. When I go on long, they've gone on long trips, even with autopilot one, it makes them much easier and less tiring. You're not constantly being on. I mean, you still have to pay attention. You still can't just let it go and let it drive for itself, even if you have full self-driving. But it really makes you relax a lot more. So even if you're talking a 10, 12-hour trip, when you get there, you're much more refreshed because you're not every instant of that drive. You're paying attention to make sure, you know, you're staying within the lane. That makes sense. I think, yeah, I'd say the Mazda one's a ping pong. The key I had had the kind of like self-drive feature. And I tested out when I was in Hawaii and I was, it scared me. Now, granted, it was probably the extreme case because the roads in Hawaii are pretty curvy. But I just, the wheel would not really move past 10 and 2. And so it would mm-hmm. drive the steering wheel pretty well on a straight road and then it's small court uh, corners. But when we were going up to the uh, volcano, the volcano has a massive, massive corners. And if I hadn't grabbed the wheel, we were literally going off the side of the mountain and died. <laughs> um, so I just, yeah, your good description is really good. Cause this felt like a training wheels, as long mm-hmm. as the steering wheel doesn't have to move past 10 and two really. So you've got like that, you know, 30, 40 degree range. If I had to move more than that, that steering wheel is not moving. It was almost like the motors couldn't turn the wheel more than more than that. I mean, I think that uh, that's the thing that I've realized with Tesla is, it, I mean, especially if you have enhanced autopilot or full self-driving, it, it will turn the whole wheel. One of the interesting things for me is when you look at like full self-driving and where that's going is the newer Tesla vehicles are getting, getting rid of the radar. Um, and one of the things that I've experienced and I know a lot of the other Tesla drivers have is this phantom braking thing. Have you, have you two heard of a, heard of that before? Yes, I have. Yeah, okay. same. Yeah. So I guess for the listeners who haven't, um, basically what it is is when you're driving down the road and the car sees a shadow or something else through the visualization of the car, um, it will just slam on the brakes. And so you can be on the highway driving along doing the speed limit and it could be heavy traffic. And all of a sudden you go under an underpass or something like that. 
and it slams on the brakes. And that can be pretty, pretty darn dangerous because you could get rear-ended, any number of things could happen. So that is something that's come up that's been kind of a problem. And there's some debate on if, if the cars that have the radar, then they're less likely to have that issue because there's that other mechanism to see that there's nothing that they need to brake for. But the new cars being all camera-based, visual-based vehicles, they're having some of that issue. And I know their Tesla's working on it and they're doing updates and I think it's gotten better, but it's still a concern. So we'll see how that plays out. That's something that's pretty interesting to me to see how that works. But um, I guess the last thing I will bring up as far as the autopilot and full self-driving is once you get full self-driving, it's in a lot of situations, um, I think really, really far along, but every once in a while on certain routes, it can feel like a new driver and someone who's, um, still in driver's training, which can be pretty frightening for those who have taught their children or others to drive if they don't always know exactly what to do or a little bit uneasy on certain areas. Um, but it does seem like with every update it's getting significantly better each and every time. So that's pretty fun for me to watch and to experience. My question for you, I was, I was watching uh, a really good debate on Facebook, social media. I love those debates. They're always fun to watch. Um, not participate in, but fun to watch. There's a debate going, is the $12,000 self-drive, full self-drive option worth it on the Tesla? And can you just take us through high level what the difference is between each of the levels on, on the Tesla specifically option wise? Let's say it's just a new, um, a new Tesla. You have the standard autopilot, which is almost like autopilot one, but for the most part, that's, that's highway driving. It's not going to take you off, off ramps. It's not going to navigate on autopilot. It's just going to be a very, very robust lane keep assist. And it, it works really well. And so for people who are going to drive around town, who like to drive that um, are going to go on long trips and just want to make it a little bit easier, I think that's plenty. And for, let's see, my wife, who doesn't even like cruise control, I mean, she would barely use autopilot. She's actually gotten used to it and we'll, we'll, we'll use it every now and then. Um, I do think at this point in time, $12,000 for it um, is only going to be the people who really want to be on the cutting edge or the people who are betting on that full self-driving coming to fruition this year, as Elon Musk has said for the last, I think, three years or four years in a row that's coming this year. And it will be, I don't know how much, how true that is. If that's really going to play out, I like everybody else, I hope it's true. Um, but we'll, we'll see. So it, it's again, to me, are you a betting man? And you want to bet on that being true and it's keep going up in price or, you know, is it just not worth it to you and um, you're not going to really use it? You know, for me, it's more just being on the cutting edge and seeing what the technology is. That's why. And the thing is, too, you can also use subscription service, too. And so that's a nice thing if you just want to try it out. Um, and I think for most people, just using full self-driving for if you're going to go on a long trip, getting it paying that hundred bucks, 200 bucks, whatever it is now, um, and using it for the trip. And then the rest of the time, not having it and just having regular autopilot, that would be my suggestion. And correct me if I'm wrong, but let's say you've got that $12,000 price point for the full self-driving through Tesla, that tech 
mm-hmm. already exists in the car. You buy a brand new Tesla, you opt not to pay the $12,000. And then in six months, you get it home, you decide you really want it. You can then pay for it to have it activated. Correct. The only thing is um, you may, uh, the price may have gone up. Sure. Yeah, which it has numerous times. So, but they, in the past, have always given a couple week warning for it. So, why would you do that? You stumbled onto the Facebook debate, and so the no. Facebook debate was: they charge you twelve thousand now for it not to work, but when it starts working, they'll charge you thirty. Um, <laughs> I was just laughing at that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's true. I mean, that's exactly what it is. I mean, I, I don't know what there is to debate there. I mean, that's what they're they're planning on doing. Thank you for listening to Plug In For More. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, check out the one-stop EV marketplace, evuniverse.com. Until next time.